Thank you so much. Let's pray. As we prepare our hearts, thank you for your dear presence with us. Holy Spirit, Spirit of Jesus, who proceeds from the Father. Thank you for the joy of worship. And thank you for the privilege of the word. Would these scriptures be helpful and meaningful? Would they be timely? Would you help me to speak from them and explain them and apply them? And I pray for us all, as we are hearing, to be receivers and responders of the powerful word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder how uh, you're doing with this season, this season of Christmas. Uh, is your tree up? Let's have a little show of hands. Tree is up. Hands up. Tree is out of its box. Okay, so do, does anyone have it like a, is the tradition of uh, Christmas Eve? They put their tree, Christmas tree up? <laughs> On the back row. Hermie, when was your tree up? About October, probably. <laughs> End of November. <laughs> time for Advent, absolutely. It's amazing at uh, this time of year uh, how we get into routines and we get into traditions. And, uh, and many of those are good. I remember there was always the, the tradition in my house, uh, household of, of uh, getting the, the stuff out from the attic every year. And it's just for the benefit of the young people over there before they nod off uh, on the sofas. Uh, in the good old days, fairy lights used to have bulbs in it. And something happened between January, the 12th night of Christmas, and December that Elves, so to speak, little malevolent spirits would come and undo all the bulbs in the light string. And so when you got the light string down in the next Christmas, none of it worked. You put them away and they worked. Isn't this true? Worked to a T. And somehow over the course of the year, they stopped working and you had to string them all out on the carpet. And, and that was our little job of, of test the fuse bulb. And then you had to like test all the others. And if it was particularly difficult, having gone through every bulb on the, the 60 string or 100 string light, they were all done up. And then you'd find that it still wasn't working. So then you'd have to take every bulb out and check it. Because if you had more than three out on the string, the whole string wouldn't work. And this was the, a little kind of routine we went through every year. Some people look at me like, what is that on a bag? <laughs> it was in the days of cassette recorders and uh, but we had all these little traditions of uh, uh, there was something on the radio about asking people what stir up Sunday was blank looks 
It was when you made your Christmas cake in November and you got... Put, well, that, that, I never, yeah, well, you know, that, lots of fruit and brandy was strewn around our kitchen. Um, so nice. <laughs> lots of tradition. But it's amazing, at this season of Christmas, Advent and Christmas, how traditions have so, t- and they're kind of joyous. I'm not going to be uh, one of these, like, bar humbug and undermine lots of things. But I just want to just provoke a little bit. I don't even remember in the news just uh, two weeks ago, uh, a little village in, or a little town in Hampshire made news because um, their Christmas decorations for that year, rather than being a Christmas tree or a Santa Claus or a snowman, as which many towns would have, they installed secondhand a giant illuminated marmot. Do you remember that story? And the town was uh, kind of up in arms because it was like, what's a marmot got to do with Christmas? What is a marmot after all? And this kind of little thing went along the line of, you know, it's marmite. You know, either you love it or hate it. Well, actually, I know what a marmot is. It kind of lives, a little rodent-type creature lives in the Alps. And if you happen to go skiing in, in the Alps, it's kind of like for Le Plan. It's their kind of emblem of the village, the marmot, and it kind of represents winter, I guess, because it comes out. But it was amazing, the hostility and the controversy of putting up an illuminated marmot. How dare they? It's not traditional. I mean, it'd be like in Chipping Camden, not having these beautiful twinkly white lights and of putting some neon gaudy flashing thing up. Can you imagine? Or Broadway, or these kind of quaint Cotswold towns. Sorry? And there's that whole kind of like slightly condescending air when you drive past the houses who have gone well over the top with inflatable things and there's Santas on the roof and there's reindeer and uh, people, oh, it's all a little bit unfashionable. I've been struck and as I, as I come back to Christmas every year and I reflect on this stories. It's amazing how tradition can sometimes hold us and confine us when actually Christmas really is about breaking the tradition, crossing boundaries. I'm going to read a couple of passages from scripture, but these are just kind of examples that as I've been reflecting on, and even this morning as as Phil preached from Luke 15, There was this reminder that again and again and again and again, the Lord is a boundary crosser. So John chapter 1. We're going to be reading this again at carols by candlelight and, and we have the traditional carols and it's safe. But it's not safe. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. So that through him all might believe. 
He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, uh, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which is his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born, not of natural descent, nor a a human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And I'd like you just to follow on the screens or or turn in your uh, Bible to Acts 10, verse 9. It's the the story of the ongoing ministry of Jesus after his ascension. Peter's there on the Lord's Day and he's in Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He He became hungry and wanted to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius find out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Don't hesitate to go with them for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we've come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could bear, so he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. And then the story continues in verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Spirit had been poured out, even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their, being baptized, of, of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Uh, at this time of year in Sheffield, in the north of Sheffield, 
there's quite a tradition, and my brother, when he was around, used to be part of this. Uh, and it's, it's to do with caroling in pubs. And uh, it's, it's a, a bit of a, an unusual thing, and it's a little bit of a, an amazing thing, that you, you turn up on a Sunday lunchtime, or uh, certain nights of the week, to these pubs on the outer kind of edge of Sheffield, and they are rammed. It's a sort of packed-out pub where you have to shout your order and it go in the pints get passed overhead because you can't actually get to the bar. And they sing carols. Now, it's, it's not the Victorian carols, not that I've got anything against a oh, little town of Bethlehem and uh, once in Royal David City. They, uh, they, they sing carols, but they're, they're classed or, or called Yorkshire traditional carols. And it's not E by Eck or Neil Timor by Tack kind of uh, kind of thing. But they are local carols. And as, as I kind of talked to my brother and researched a little bit about them, they, they said, actually, this, this tradition started when uh, kind of in the Enlightenment and uh, particularly the rise and the kind of um, when Anglican churches kind of got a little bit more formal and liturgical that they, they started, and particularly the kind of Puritan Victorian era, they, they sort of set Christmas carols and how they would do them in a particular way. Uh, and, and it became very routinized. It became very kind of led at the front. And people found it like a little bit dull. Church dull, who'd have thought? Anyway, so it kind of meant that people thought, well, we won't go to the church because we have to sit in rows and follow these funny liturgies. Not that I've got anything necessarily against these services. But people retreated into the pub and said, let's have a pint and let's sing these great carols. Not to these funny tunes set by these religious hymn writers, but to the ones, the good old ones we know. That people wanted to express the joy of Christmas in ways that the establishment found difficult. As I kind of reflected on that, and as I, I've thought about the Marmot and Alton and, uh, and so forth, I, I've just kind of been struck this year about the Christmas story about crossing boundaries. The word became flesh, dwelt amongst us. That this is what the Lord does. This is something that I think the Lord is a theme for this Christmas for me. Of how the Lord in... In his being before creation, the the word in the beginning was with God, and the word was God. In the beginning, Genesis. That God didn't have a need of, in and of himself, that there should be anything. He was complete, perfect, without need or want, existing as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet, he created. And he created from silence by speaking. The word, God said, let there be. And as God spoke, as he uttered, as the powerful word was declared, it so happened. Light and dark. Form from formlessness. And everything came to be. And that 
revelation of, of from, from in, it, not that God was ever silent and kind of like twiddling something, saying, oh, it's a bit quiet here. Because the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in perfect unity, I'm sure, were always together. But in our kind of understanding of God, that it wasn't left for us just to be kind of like groping around in, in the darkness and trying to imagine and trying to grasp something of, of what God would be like. He spoke from silence the word, the eternal word heard, the eternal word enfleshed, the eternal word crossing the unknown to the known, entering our orbit, entering our experience, enfleshed, dwelling amongst us so that we can know. The transcendent, if we like that big word, the transcendent meaning the, the big and the beyond and the other and the unknowable becomes the imminent. Imminent meaning present, close, here. That as, as we read these Christmas stories, and they are marvelous and wonderful, that the angels announce to, to Mary and Joseph that she would be with child, even though as a virgin, she would bear a child. And it came to pass. The word was spoken and it came to be. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. What an amazing boundary to cross. Again and again, we, we see this, this crossing that is spoken of, the incarnation at Christmas. Big words, wonderful words. The incarnation, God becoming one of us. Of how he crosses from, from the unknowable and the, and the unreachable, the unattainable, the other. And makes his habitat, his very dwelling, his presence with us as a baby. On a dark night, the light in the darkness, the far, the transcendent, of becoming imminent, of becoming near. Not that I'm saying God becomes human being. Well, I am saying that, but not implying that God kind of just becomes human. He come, becomes fully God and fully human, enfleshed with us. Touchable, relatable. Wailing initially, but speaking later. Again and again, that which is begun at Christmas again and again works out of the boundary crossing God. The one of the, the first things that we, we see are, are the wise men, the magi coming from the east. There's speculation of who they are. Best guess, they might be Arabian kind of... Uh, Sages, magicians perhaps. Some people have them coming from India. Some people have them coming from China. Definitely not Jewish, but they saw the sign in the stars and followed. To come and worship a babe. They said, this is the king. And the king 
in Jerusalem, Herod was disturbed. Very quickly, Jesus was whisked away with his family to Egypt. And when they came back, and uh, later on in, in his adulthood as he became uh, in his ministry, public ministry, as I've read the stories again and again, he crosses the boundaries. What do I mean? Well, this morning Phil was preaching from, from Luke 15 and, and talking about the parable of the lost coin, the lost sheep and the lost son. But, but it comes in references that, that he was hanging out with the tax collectors and the sinners. And the religious were kind of saying, who are you? Why are you doing this? And Jesus said, it's for these that I've come and told them the parable and said, well, of course we go and find the lost. He broke the boundaries of who was in and, and supposedly out and said, I will go to the edge. But it's not a new story. It, it's, it's actually replete all the way through the scriptures of again and again of, of the Lord who crosses boundary. In the beginning, he, God spoke. And then again and again, he, he draws close those kind of mysterious uh, kind of God moments that are called theophany, where God appears, where God kind of encounters Moses at the burning bush or, or uh, in the storm on top of the mountain uh, with with. Um, Moses or Elijah in the still small voice, not in the whirlwind, of, uh, of when the glory cloud appears in the temple and spills out from just the holy place, just kind of the bit where God was meant to be because that was the holy of the holies and he kind of spilled out into the ordinary and into the dirty streets and the presence of God was there. Or Jonah, that begrudging missionary who ran the wrong way because God said, go to Nineveh, to the worst of them. To the hostile opponents, those violent, atrocity, violent people. Jonah struggles all the way through his ministry and, and he's called to call them to repent because he said, they, they shouldn't be given mercy. God said, yeah. For the most unlovely and the most desperate, and those who seem the most godless, I will come. Crossing boundaries. To the demonized legion, the one who seemed untamable, uncontrollable, no human being. They couldn't bind him, they couldn't tame him. He raged naked, cutting himself in the grave, in the place of death. People thinking, hurry up and die. You're embarrassing as you're bringing down the real estate value of our homes with your wailing and your carrying on. And Jesus goes to him, to Legion. And with a word, he was clothed in his right mind. Again and again to the Samaritan, to the Syrophoenician woman, to the, to the prostitute, to the sinner, to the tax collector, to the leper. Crossing the boundaries, reaching out, coming amongst us. The word made flesh. And announcing the kingdom of God is near, at hand, close by. See, Jesus is like a trespasser in darkness. 
the light bringer between heaven and earth of God with sinners, the clean entering the unclean, of crossing the dividing wall of hostility, of hatred, the darkness even sought to overcome the light, but didn't. And this boundary-crossing God doesn't just stop there. That's why I read from Acts. You see, it carries on. Peter, as, as a Jewish man, as, as someone who knew the law, was passionate about Jesus, a follower, had one of those moments where the impact of the gospel, the impact of the incarnation, of what Jesus has accomplished when the temple curtain was torn in his death from top to bottom, understanding that it's no longer just stay but go. That at Christmas, if anything, it's not just stay, not just stay put, not just stay in the comfort, but go. The revelation is as the, the sheet was let down and there are all these animals and um, it's a bit like uh, um, help, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. You know, on those bush tucker trials when they have to eat all the, the kind of things. Go, Ooh, I'll be sick. Ooh, how horrible. Kangaroo eyes and all that kind of thing. It's horrible. It probably would be horrible to eat. You know, who wants to eat those kind of strange creatures? But there's a lesson. The voice comes three times. Three times, kind of really significant, but three times. Don't call what I have called clean, unclean. And it was like this, this final breakdown of that which had held back the gospel, that which had held back the people going, well, we've, we've, we brought the gospel to Jerusalem and Judea, and yeah, it's, it's slipped over to Samaritans, but they're kind of like the distant cousins anyway. We were kind of related back in history. But here the, the breakdown of the wall extends even further because God says to Peter, now this is for everyone from Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria to the very ends of the earth. And right at that moment when he's considering his dinner and he's hungry, the knock on the door and the Gentiles, the Romans, everything that would say they are the furthest and the opponent, the enemy, they knock on the door. Peter engages with them and as I read in verse 44 onwards, the Holy Spirit encounters them. And it sets a revolution in the church and the next chapters are, are kind of resounding with the impact of that, of that event because Peter's kind of summoned back to Jerusalem and said, guys, the Gentiles are believing they're being included and, uh, and those who are kind of religious and traditionalists are saying, no, no, tut, tut, that can't be. Tell us what happened, Peter, you must have got this wrong. And they end up with this big power in Jerusalem in chapter 15 and they kind of, oh gosh, it's like the, the whole kind of, the whole kind of furniture's being moved. It's like this spring clean into that whole kind of mindset of a boundary is crossed again to say this good news is for all. For all. Don't just stay. Don't just stay in the tradition. Don't just stay in what you know. Go. As I, I, I was hearing last week um, Martin and Bino, wasn't there a lovely service with curry and, and 
good things. And I was really struck. If you missed it, you missed a treat. It was great. Um, friends from Goa. And Bina was, was telling a little bit of a story about how she was moved out of her comfort zone to cross boundaries because they began to discover HIV children being abandoned and the stigma of that at that time and of sex workers and of how no one else would care. But the love of God compelled her to say, Jesus cares. As I've been reflecting on the Christmas story, it's, it's been part of that mind. As I've been thinking a little bit about that, I was reminded once of, of the challenge in me to keep recognizing to go, to go across the boundary of what I think is my edge. A number of years ago, I was, I was serving in Leicester, leading a church there, and, and had a, a really horrific set of circumstances that was involved. There was a couple who had some, some learning difficulties in the community, a couple. And um, I first came across them when I got a phone call from a funeral director to say, would I conduct a funeral because their baby, they'd just given birth, their baby was died in childbirth. And it was harrowing, and I said, of course I would. And it was very emotional, and there was a horse-drawn carriage with a tiny white little coffin. And, and we journeyed with the couple as a church, loved them. And a few months later, we had the great news that she'd become pregnant again. And as a church, we prayed, and they'd started coming to worship with us, and and uh, the pregnancy went on well, and she was a bit anxious, well, more than a bit, very anxious. And um, towards the end of her nine months, she, she, got, she was really anxious, and the hospital were recognizing it, caring. And I got a phone call about early Sunday saying, we're, we're really worried she's going into labor. We've called the ambulance. And for whatever reason, the, the ambulance didn't come. And I, I got a call in the mid-afternoon to say there were complications, and can you... The ambulance still isn't coming. And, and at half past five, I was preaching at half past six, I got a call to say the second baby, baby Michelle, died in childbirth. Could I go to the maternity unit? And I said, of course, did the service, went down. And there they were, broken and distraught, and I held the little girl, little ginger hair, and prayed for them and her. And planned a second funeral. And God was there. And I remember this funeral, it was cold and it was wintry. And, but it was one of those clear days. And, and as we'd done the, um, the burial little box again, I just had this kind of obviously compassion for, for this grieving mum. And as I went towards her to, to comfort her and just just spend a moment with her, I was walking to her, and I can remember, I can still see it in my mind's eye, we were, I was about, I don't know, this far away, maybe walking towards her, about the distance I was, I am now to Hermie, and I was looking at her and I, my, my eye was distracted, and I looked up, kind of from her eyes, and I looked at her hair, and it was her hair that had distracted me, that it was kind of moving, 
it was full of head lice and um, and and ticks and you know you know just you're all going to start itching head now yeah I can you can see that's already beginning to happen and and it was like you know how I don't know if you've ever included, included, ever happened this, that the Lord can speak to you really very much. And you can have this quite in-depth conversation with God in like a few frames of life. You ever had that where something has happened, there's a revelation, something has happened, the Holy Spirit speaks, you have a little conversation, a dialogue, and it's like three, three frames on a movie. It's hardly any time at all. But in that moment, in that moment, as I saw the hair kind of like, and I was like, that is horrific. I don't want nits and lice, thank you very much. All I could then focus on was like, I can't embrace her, give her a hug, because I was like, what happens if I get nits? And the Lord was like, is that really all that matters right now? And of course, my pride was checked and my horror was kind of subsumed in, in a greater compassion to say, would that be my boundary? in that brokenness, in that moment where I could express love. And I'm glad in that moment I crossed that boundary of I'm willing to go and get a knit comb afterwards if necessary. To be a hand and a hug and a prayer of love to say this is awful but the Lord loves you. The Lord is here. And she knew that. As I've been thinking about Christmas, may we see again this year and maybe reflect on all the boundaries that, that hem us in and remember that the story of Christmas is about the Christ who crosses the boundaries and joins us where we thought God should not come. Jesus joins us as the incarnate one, born into creation, fallen and messed up and broken and marred and dark. But he comes. That as he comes, he, he gathers. Even around the manger scene, he gathers. The shepherds and the magi and, and the animals but that beginning of gathering from every tribe and, and every nation and every corner of the earth. You see, this crossing boundaries and breaking the status quo shouldn't be a new or surprising thing for us, but, but actually is the heartbeat of the church. Because we gather, we're not called to stay, but to go out, to be sent out. The God is crossing boundaries and breaking rules in order to name us as daughters and sons, making us part of his great, wonderful family. And I just wonder whether you can make a new tradition this Christmas. Yes, do bring out the, the slightly battered Christmas decorations and put on the tree the things that were made by your children or you when you were small and is now looking a little bit past it. And those traditions are good because they root us and, and help us uh, have meaning and purpose and connect us to the past. But don't let that 
bind you and curtail the wonder of the incarnate one who crosses every boundary, even in this completion of the story, crosses the threshold of death and breaks through into life. Maybe work out a new tradition, a new story, a new way for you and your family of demonstrating wonder of the incarnation, the power of how we cross those thresholds this Christmas. Not the same old, same old, but God with us. Let's pray.